heard that from my kids a long time ago. Dad, if you don't let me do this, then you really don't love me. Oh, really? <laughs> if I really love you, then I'm not going to let you eat five pounds of chocolate before you go to bed. Can we all say amen? amen. I mean, when you're, when you're an adult, obviously, with kids, you know that. But I almost hear in the, in the society in which we live in today, either you approve all that I am, either you agree with me, or I'm going to advocate for the fact that you have no right to be in this society at all. And yet Jesus says something so amazing. He speaks truth and he says, okay, everybody here that is without sin, you go ahead and throw the stone. And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. I love that story. But Jesus looks at the woman and he said, woman, where are your accusers? Now there was one there that had the bona fides to be a judge and that was Jesus. There was only one that was able to accuse her, and he could have if he wanted to. But he wasn't there to accuse, was he? He was there to redeem. He was there to restore. And he looks at her and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And then he says, now go and sin no more. He was able to speak the truth to the woman at the same time that he was able to love her with an unconditional love. What I share with you today, I want you to accept in that spirit. And that's been my heart's desire that as I present this whole thing about where the United States is in prophecy and what what is the model that God has for his church? How do we respond to what's happening prophetically in our midst? I want you to hear uh, that I have a heart of love, but I'm going to say some hard things for certain people today. And I'll say this for the older generation today that's here. Uh, age uh, 40 and above, I'm going to say some things that are really going to be challenging for you. For those of you that are younger, did, th- did I just get you, Derek? You're, are you 41 now? I'm 44. 44, okay. Just wanted to know where you were in the historical timeline. You know. But for those that are younger, I'm going to say some things to you that are going to challenge you. I know when I'm talking to the younger generations, the the minute that I start talking about sexual sin, something clicks off in many people's heads and goes, hater. But I want you to know, I don't hate anybody. As a matter of fact, at this season of my life, I have more love in my heart for everybody than I've ever had. I really do. Even road rage people that (laughs) cut me off and trap. You know I've confessed that that's an issue with me, Okay. (laughs) I've even learned to love them and pray for them. I always ask the question, Lord, what's going on in their life that they're in such a hurry? And I just pray for them. (laughs) But I want you to hear what I'm saying today because I'm going to say some things that are challenging about America. And I want to present some things to you that I feel like the Lord is saying to the church because we have lost our prophetic voice to the nation. And God is calling us to recoup our prophetic voice to the nation. And for us to do that, we're going to have to adjust our hearts and our minds and the way that we have looked at our country and the way that we've looked at God and how we work in the country. And I believe the Lord knows exactly where we are. I believe that he has us for this moment in time, he has put us on the planet. So it behooves us to say, God, why are we here? What have you called me to do? And how do you want me to make a difference? So are you ready? Got your seatbelts on? Okay, let's talk. As you know, we've been looking at the story of Josiah. We've been looking at some templates from the Old Testament. I had somebody that asked me 
uh, this week. A couple people actually asked me, why, why do you think these Old Testament templates are valid for today? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, I won't take time to read it. You can read the chapter. Paul is looking at examples out of the Old Testament, and he said these stories, these examples of saints that lived long ago were given for our understanding. They are stories that are given to us so that those of us that are here for the fulfillment of the ages can learn from what they did. So I'm not saying America is just like Israel in Josiah's time. But what I am saying is that we can learn from the principles of that time and what was happening. There's never a perfect correlation necessarily, but I think there are principles that are transcultural and they are transtemporal. In other words, they are good for every culture, they are good in every time, and they are principles that don't pass away. They're as true as they were in 1400 BC as they are right now in 2018 AD. Does that make sense? You're getting awfully quiet. If you don't talk back to me, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Second Kings 23. So the king stood by the pillar, and this is uh, Josiah. Remember, he's in the temple. So we're picking up where we left off last week. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul. Let me stop there and say, do you realize that this king started transforming his culture when he was about 16 years old? All the way through his 20s. And I'm going to talk about a lot of people in the younger generation that transformed their world at a very young age because I believe God is speaking to the younger generation today. King Josiah finds the word that's been lost and he turns to God with all his heart and soul. There's a radical readjustment of his heart to Scripture and the truth of God. He goes on, it says, Thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book, then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry host. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron Valley and took the ashes to Bethel. If you remember what we talked about last week, there, were, there was about a hundred years of idolatry in Israel, so much so that the people of Israel thought they were worshiping the God of their fathers, but they, they had opened the door to the very temple of the great I am that we sang about, Yahweh. And they opened the door to all these false gods and idols. And Josiah is now cleansing the temple and saying, we need to put away these idols. In verse 5, he did away with the pagan priests appointed by the kings of Judah to burn incense on the high places of the towns of Judah and on those around Jerusalem. Those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the starry hosts. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of God to the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem and burned it there, and he ground it to powder and scattered the dust on the graves of the common people. He also tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes. The sexual immorality that was happening right in the middle of the temple is so disgusting that I don't, even, uh, I don't want to tell you about it. If you want to do the research or you want the research, let me know, and I'll send you some commentary stuff that will blow your mind. It was happening right there. Verse 8, Josiah brought all the priests from the towns of Judah and desecrated the high places from Geba to Beersheba where the priests had burned incense. He broke down the shrines of the gates at the entrance to the gate uh, of Joshua, the city governor, which is on the left of the city gate. And although the priests of the high place did not, who did not serve at the altar in Jerusalem, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. 
He desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Himmon, so nobody could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. These people, in the name of who they thought their God was, were sacrificing their children in the fire so they could have a better harvest. They were, they were destroying their children. Verse 12, it says, He pulled down the altars of the kings of Judah that kings of Judah had erected on the roof near the upper room of Ahaz and the altars Manasseh had built in the two courts of the temple of the Lord. He removed from there, smashed them to pieces, and threw the rubble into the Kidron Valley. The Bible tells us, as I mentioned last week, that Josiah turned to the Lord in a greater way than any king in the history of Israel and followed in the ways of his great-great-great-great-great-grandfather David. These false systems of worship. I told you I wasn't going to tell you the details, but let me just give you a, uh, a brief overview. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel had false prophets on their payroll. They regularly fed 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Can you imagine that? And they taxed the people to do that. Asherah was worshipped in various ways, including through ritual sex. Although she was believed to be male's mother, she was also his mistress. And the pagans practiced sympathetic magic. They believed they could influence the gods' action by performing the behavior they wished the gods to demonstrate. Believing the sexual union of Baal and Asherah produced fertility, their worshippers engaged in immoral sex to cause the gods to join together, ensuring a good harvest. And this practice became the basis for religious prostitution happening right there at the temple. God's incredible gift of sexuality was being perverted. Now, things aren't exactly the same today, but I've got to tell you, there's a war on children, and there's a war on what marriage and sexuality are all about. There's not one nation that will prosper unless we get this right before God. I don't care whether it's Japan, the United States, China, whatever. If we do not honor God's ways, God cannot bless our country. So what are some of the conditions then in America that parallel Josiah's time? God's word has been excised from the public sphere systematically over the last 60 years. People retain a cultural echo of Christianity, but many do not really know the word. Attempts are being made through judicial activism to criminalize parts of the Bible and prosecute those who live by its words. There are things in the courts right now that are trying to do that. They're trying to silence people that disagree. And in the process, they want to literally excise any Christian influence from the nation. Number two, many people follow a form of godliness thinking they're Christians, but they ignore the truth of his word and live a life of idolatry. And the key thing we need to understand here is they don't even know that they're doing that. We've seen mainline churches fall away and capitulate to culture. They still retain some form of Christianity. They still celebrate communion and baptisms. But there's a consequence for doing that in the name of the Lord and not following in the ways of the Lord. Like the people in Josiah's day, they have no idea who Yahweh is, and they don't understand his word. Let me read something out of Malachi verses two, or chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. It talks about the, how the leaders have departed from God's ways. It says, For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned 
from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my, my, my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Judgment is already upon America because the first expression of Christianity and the churches have broken their covenant with God. This past uh, 4th of July, again, I watched some of the uh, dramatizations of what happened in our culture. And unfortunately, from the very beginning, uh, it was with the musical 1776 focuses on the battle between the southern states and the northern states over slavery. And Benjamin Franklin says, well, future generations will have to deal with that. That's what it says in the libretto of the, of the musical. But it broke my heart to think that people that said they were following the Lord Jesus Christ could somehow affirm that slavery was something that God would bless. We have had from the very beginning of our founding a mixture of good and evil of bad people and good people. There are some people that believe, and I'm going to address this a little bit more in a moment, there are some people that believe that America was a totally Christian nation founded on godly principles, and I want to tell you that America has been a mixture of pirates, saints, entrepreneurs, good people, and bad people from the very beginning. We have a lot of wonderful Christian influence that has been part of our founding. But by the same token, there are a lot of people that have invited evil in, and the very seeds of our destruction are there from the very beginning as well. We are now at the beginning of a falling away among evangelical leaders, and a divide is coming to evangelicalism. But I've got to tell you, it already began with the mainline churches starting in the 1960s. They literally went down, they dropped the ball, and they turned their back on God. And because of that, there is an apostate church that speaks in the name of Christ and confuses the people of America because they're hearing the voice of some people say, this is the way of the Lord, walk ye in it. And other people say, if you just do whatever's being done in the culture, you're going to be okay. Three key issues that I believe are going to face evangelicalism in the years to come. The ministry of the Holy Spirit the authority of Scripture, and God's covenant with Israel and Israel's part in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to talk about that later this month, but those are three issues that are going to be key uh, dividing things for the church. But let's go back to what Malachi says. What about our leaders that have let us down? I was stunned this past week to see the interview with uh, Jimmy Carter, our president. Uh, I was raised in a home, and so was Janice, where it was a sin to vote for anybody but a Democrat. So in my first election, when I could vote for a president, I voted for Jimmy Carter. And I liked him because he said that he was born again. He was a Sunday school teacher in a Southern Baptist church. I wish I could take my vote back. Let me read this. Asked about gay marriage, he replied, it's no problem with me. I think everybody should have a right to get married regardless of sex. Regarding... Whether he thinks Jesus would approve of gay marriage, Carter replied, I don't have any verse in Scripture. Can I stop there and say you better believe he doesn't have any verse in Scripture? There are consequences for speaking things in the name of the Lord when you don't have a biblical foundation to say it. This may be hard for some people to hear, but we need to hear it. But he added, I believe that Jesus would approve gay marriage. This is one of our presidents, folks. And by the way, I don't think Jimmy Carter was all wrong. He did some good things. He did some bad things politically. But this is a moral imperative. He is speaking as a leader of our country 
and this breaks my heart. He says, I think Jesus would encourage any love affair if it was honest, sincere, and was not damaging to anyone else, and I don't see the gay marriage damages, damages anyone else, he said. Let me stop there and make a comment. There are people in our country that don't want to just stop with gay marriage. They want any kind of constellation. And because we have little ears in the sanctuary this morning, let me put it this way. There are people that want to legalize and make marriage legal between any entities, not just necessarily two, as a sexual constellation. And that's what it's all about. They are making a mockery of marriage. And they are setting seeds for the destruction of our country. If you want to know how to solve half of America's problems, and that includes poverty and the drug abuse and everything else that's going on, restore the family. Restore fatherhood. Godly men that will take their place in the family and do what they're supposed to do. Godly families that seek, and there's not a perfect family anywhere, but if there's a family that's seeking God's heart, that knows and loves his word and wants to walk in his ways, God will bless that. And I tell you that most of the problems in our country today are not because of the government. They are not political problems. They are moral and ethical problems. The government has just made it. The government can't give us a solution here. There's no president. There's no Messiah that's going to arrive on Air Force One. Can I say it that way? Okay. We put too much faith and hope in these people thinking that somehow they're going to solve all of our problems. A lot of times they tell us what we want to hear. I pray for them. I prayed for every president since I came to Christ. I've been praying for every president along the way. But I've got to tell you, I have more faith in God transforming things at the local level. Can Can I say that? The 39th president, let me go on. The 39th president did add a caveat concerning religious liberty and the right to opt out of same-sex marriage. The only thing I would draw a line on, he said, is I wouldn't be in favor of the government being able to force a local church congregation to perform gay marriages if they didn't want to. But those two partners should be able to go to a local courthouse or to a different church and get married. It sounds loving, doesn't it? It sounds inclusive. And can I say here, for those of you that may be visiting with us today, I don't hate gay people. I love them, just like Jesus loved the woman caught in adultery. Just because somebody's a sinner like me doesn't mean I reject them, that they haven't found Jesus yet. I want to love them by the power of the Spirit. But I need to tell them the truth. Let me give you another example. You've heard me say this before. What kind of doctor would I be if I was a physician and I told you what you wanted to hear instead of giving you the proper diagnosis? Well, I know they've got cancer, but I'm not going to talk to them about proper medication, chemo, health, anything like that, because I just don't want to upset them. I'll just let them die quietly. Would I be a good doctor? And yet that's how some people are in the church. They tell people what they want to hear rather than telling them the truth. I want people to get better. I am a recovering Pharisee. I'm telling you the truth. It's taken me years to recover from some of the things I got in church growing up. And I don't want to pass on to you some of the bad stuff that came to me. I want people to hear the truth of God and walk in the truth and know how to get better. And we're seeing God transform lives, and I want to continue to see God transform lives. I can't tell you the story, but our living free class on Wednesday night, I, I, I basically floated out to the car. I was so filled with the joy of the Lord to hear some of the stories of what God's doing in people's lives. He still does that. He transforms lives. 
Look at the next story that's here. How many of you know the Methodist Church is one of the greatest ministries for revival starting in the 18th century? Wesley's John and Charles Wesley were some of the early missionaries in Georgia. The Methodist Church is now undergoing a process where they are praying for 75 weeks to discuss whether they're going to accept homosexuality and start doing gay marriage. United Methodists, here's a quote, United Methodist Church Bishop Dr. Karen Olavedo is not only a lesbian, she also believes and publicly teaches that Jesus was a bigot filled with prejudices. It reminds me of a, of a forum that I was in many, many years ago at Kent State, and there was a gay nun. Yes, you heard me, gay nun, not endorsed by Rome. And she, she leaned over and she said, evidently, we have different understandings of revelational theology. And I said, yes, ma'am, we do. Because I believe the word was given to us and we can understand it. And she says, well, I essentially believe if Jesus were here today, he would have grown up a lot. She goes on. Here's the article. She does not say that Jesus grew and changed. She does say that Jesus grew and changed, and that's her point. Bishop Oliveto admonishes, quote, If Jesus can change, if he can give up his bigotries and prejudices, if he can realize that he made his life too small, and if we, in this realization, if he grew closer to others and closer to God, then so can we. The United Methodist Church has been on a descent into apostasy for years now, while the denomination is currently in the midst of their 75 weeks of praying about accepting homosexuality. They have long allowed pastors of churches to go against their current beliefs on the matter. Let me say something to you to help you understand where America is prophetically right now. America right now is divided as a nation in many ways, but one of the reasons that America is divided is because the church is divided. There is an apostate church and there is a dynamic church, a remnant church that loves the Lord and wants to proclaim truth in love. It may sound loving what this woman says, and I'm sure in some way she has a life that demonstrates love. I mean, let's face it, it's, I, some of the lesbians and gay people I've had in my life are very wonderful people. But I've told them lovingly that I can't agree with where they are. And that has to be okay. Because at the end of the day, they don't agree with where I am either, do they? In America, we've always given people the right to speak out, and we've agreeably disagreed. But right now, there is a movement to silence Christianity, and they're using this particular issue to do that. Folks, I've got to tell you, the mainline churches opened the door to this, and now evangelicalism is dealing with it. And the reason why we're feeling such a divide is, by very nature, it's spiritual. Okay? So hear, hear what I'm saying here. 2 Thessalonians 2 says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Let me translate that. All the people that are saying Jesus is coming to a mountain in Colorado in 2016 were wrong. Stop listening to people that are doing really bogus prophetic stuff. There are authentic prophets out there. It's funny, they don't make it on the news because they're not as fun. 
Verse 3, don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. I believe we're in the early days of that rebellion in the church right now. Listen to what he says here. The one who brings destruction. He's talking about the Antichrist. Verse 4, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember when I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can be revealed only when his time comes. Let's go down to verse 9. It says, This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power, signs, and miracles. He will use every kind of deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Let me stop there. Hear those words if I can get your attention today. They went into deception. Why? They refused to love and accept the truth. If people reject the truth, God will give them what they want. That's the prayer you don't want God to answer. Because the Lord will not force himself upon people. If people do not accept the truth of God, the Lord will give them over to what they want. In verse 11, it says, So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. If you want to know what's going on in the church today, there's a divide because there are a whole group of people that have said, I just can't accept what Jesus said. It's too hard for me. It doesn't fit into culture. It doesn't fit into what I believe. So I'm going to create my own idea and I'm going to continue to speak it in Jesus' name. And folks, these people are not only given over to deception, but they are bringing great deception on others. I'm not saying the Antichrist is here. We'll leave that all in God's hands. But I am saying the spirit of Antichrist is actively at work in our nation, and that's the spirit that we are up against right now. 2 Thessalonians 2 goes on. It says, Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Believers should stand firm. What are we supposed to do? Stand firm in the truth of God. He goes on in verse 15 and 16 at the end up there. It says, With all these things in mind, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm and keep a strong grip on the teaching we passed on to you, both in person and by letter. It it astounds me that people think they can reject things that have been taught by the church for thousands of years, including by the apostles, and come up with their own idea, and and they say, well, truth has changed over the years. We need to keep a strong grip on what was delivered by the apostles once and for all. And then he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us by his grace give us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. In the midst of all this, God wants us to be joy-filled people who are full of the Holy Spirit, full of the love of God that are bringing transformation to the lives of people around us. But we need to stand firm in the truth. Number three, the people have broken the covenants made with God by their forefathers. They have abandoned marriage and God's plan for the family. They have also broken covenant and promises in a lot of other ways. If we want to solve most of America's problems, including high rates of incarceration, drug addiction, poverty, etc., renew your covenant with your marriage and family. When I read studies that tell me that young men have a much greater by hundreds of percent chance of going to prison if they don't have a father who loves them, I say to myself, gee, the family might be the answer to this. 
And I want to say this to the church. Sometimes families come into our midst that have experienced crisis, brokenness, divorce. We don't condemn them, but some of us guys need to step in and be dads in the families where there are no fathers. Can we do that? Because God is a father to the fatherless. He takes care of widows and orphans. And as a church, we need to be reaching out to people in our broken world. We're not there to condemn them. We need to step up and step into loving people in those situations. Malachi 2, verses 13 through 16. Let's go back to Malachi because I want you to hear this about breaking covenant. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. He's saying these are the people that are crying out for revival in Israel about 450 B.C. You weep and you wail. He no longer looks on you with favor or your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. There is a judgment on the land in our country because we have made divorce so easy to do. We have created a covenant-breaking spirit. And I want to say to anybody that's experienced divorce, please don't come under condemnation today. God loves you very much. There are some times when there's nothing else that can be done. Scripture is very clear. When When a spouse is unfaithful, when they have become abusive, when they are a lawbreaker, they have already broken the covenant. There is no condemnation on you. Do you hear what I'm saying? But by the same token, we need to look at the larger picture here and understand that in our country, we made a mockery uh, of marriage long before gays came along and wanted to be married. So don't put it all on the gay and lesbian population. We made a mockery of marriage, and the church participated in this. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Guys, do you know scripture says that if we are not properly treating our our wives, that he will not hear our prayers? We don't get it about covenant marriage. Boy, did it get quiet in here. Dennis, that's your cue. Say amen. Shelly, I saw you throw that elbow. (laughs) The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. We're going to talk about this in the next part of this series when we talk about authority in the home. But men, we are supposed to be like Jesus to our family. We are supposed to represent the love of Christ in leading our family. And women, we are supposed to have a heart of humility and brokenness, and a, as Janice said, I said, what does it mean to, to submit to your husband? She said, not to give him a hard time. I said, all the time, yeah, right? <laughs> Watch out, we're going to talk this afternoon. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving right along. We needed a little light moment there, right? Things are getting kind of heavy here. What other conditions? People have turned to pagan religions. Americans have freedom of religion. Meaning that nobody's forced to worship. I think that's a good thing. The problem is, and nobody should be forced to worship any god, should they? Okay? But no, there are consequences for rejecting Yahweh, the Lord I Am, and the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. I use the proper names here, by the way, because people have created their own Jesus for them. 
But every time I use his Hebrew name, they don't. They go, oh, that one. Number five, people have sacrificed their children to retain a higher quality of life. You say, well, we're not like Molech, and yet I have people say, well, we got an abortion because that child wouldn't have had a quality of life anyway. And besides that, it was going to wreck my life and where I was going. Folks, again, please do not come under condemnation, but if we've done that, we need to realize the blood of every child cries out from the ground, just like the blood of Abel cried out. The earth is a recording device. God is eternal. He sees every injustice that's happened from the beginning of time, and the ground cries out to God and says, what have you done? What have you done? 50 million children? Now, that's not the only injustice. There are a lot of other things that cry out to God, but that's a problem. How could a significant number of Americans, including many in our mainstream press, come to believe that the two highest measures of morality is, number one, to supply unlimited abortion as a civil rights issue that elevates and empowers women? And yet, as a pastor, I can't tell you how many women I've talked to that have said to me, I was, in a, I was doing this as a program at Kent State many, many years ago, and, I, and I, they said, now, don't you get religious when you present this? And I said, no, I'm not going to get religious. But women started telling their story in this room. There were about 45 women, and they said, I was in a room. Nobody ever told me it was a real baby. And when I realized what really happened, and these women just began to weep, and the residence hall director said, what are you going to do? And I said, can I pray a non-religious prayer? She said, sure, go ahead. And I prayed for them to receive healing and forgiveness from God. She said, that was beautiful. And I'm thinking, she must mean bad religion. This is good religion, Okay. <laughs> The other thing is to believe that any sexual behavior, and these expressions keep expanding, is the highest form of civil rights. So where are we going beyond transgenderism and transhumanism? Maybe where the European countries have gone to to eliminate all of the age of consent laws with children because they have rights to express their sexuality with adults too, right? I know what I'm saying is very disturbing, but you need to understand this is a reality of where we're going, and we better wake up. There are a lot of Christians that that are very content. They want to be in the subculture and hide in their houses, but we need to lovingly speak up. And it's hard because we don't want to get, we don't want to be called haters. We don't want to, you know, we don't want, but we need to speak up. And I want to tell you, one of the primary ways, as I look throughout the history of the Bible, one of the ways that God will hold a country accountable is how well they stewarded the hearts and the lives of their children. Did you take care of protecting your children? And we better pay heed to that. Can you give me about 15 minutes to finish this message? I know it's a little bit long. The only response that will heal our land or any land is found in Josiah's response. Number one, it begins with true repentance that includes remorse over our sins and a brokenness that says, God, I'm desperate for you and will do anything to please and honor you. Let me tell you what the Lord is looking for today. He's looking for a heart that is so sold out to truth. We have lost our radical edge as a church. We need to turn to God and embrace what he says and not try to question him in everything that we do. I see theologians right now in seminaries and Bible colleges trying to conform the truth to culture, and they keep coming up with new revelations that somehow make it more culturally palatable. And I've got to tell you, they're forsaking the truths of their fathers and the truths that Christ represented to the church once and for all. The question for us, are we willing to make any adjustment to align our hearts to him, even if it's going to cost us? 
Number two, we need to destroy idols that we have allowed and created in our lives, our homes, our public institutions, and the marketplace. This requires us to take an honest look at our lives and our culture in the light of God's word. An idol is more than an image that people have created to bow down to. An idol can be a number of things that steal our heart's desire from worshiping the true God. God wants us to have a radical passion for him. He doesn't want there to be anything between us and him. Number three, we need to renew, and, and I see this in Josiah. Do you realize he hears the law read? He instantly tears his robes, and he instantly sets about to bring his country into an understanding of what's going on. By the way, I haven't yet seen, all of our presidents have claimed to be Christian. I haven't yet seen one of them do that. Can I say that? I remember watching the uh, transformation videos, and I saw the president. It was one. It was uh, in um, one of the South Sea Islands. I saw the president of this island get up, and he confessed on behalf of all of his people: idolatry, serving false gods, slavery, trafficking of people. He confessed that, and all of the leaders of the nation got on their knees, and the fish that had disappeared from their coast 50 years before came back. You want to talk about God healing our land, that's the kind of stuff it's going to take. That's the kind of stuff. God can do it. You better believe it. Followers of Jesus need to stop being ashamed of what the Word says and picking only the parts that resonate with them. Listen to this quote from Francis Chan from the book Erasing Hell, What God Said About Eternity and the Things We've Made Up. He said it's incredibly arrogant to pick and choose which incomprehensible truths we embrace. No one wants to ditch God's plan of redemption, even though it doesn't make sense to us. Neither should we erase God's revealed plan of punishment because it doesn't sit well with us. And here he's, what Chan is talking about is all the people that are trying to say, well, maybe there isn't a hell. Okay? I just read Matthew 5 the other day, and Jesus is saying, if you have unforgiveness in your heart and you're judging your brother, you're in danger of hellfire. Gee, what did he mean there? Well, hell could be a uh, bad feelings that you have. No, hell is hell. It is an actual place defined throughout all of the history of Israel and their understanding of Scripture. He goes on, he said, as soon as we do this, as soon as we start to pick and choose, we are putting God's actions in submission to our own reasoning, which is a ridiculous thing for, for the clay to do. He's the potter, we are the clay. He goes on, another quote, he says, In my desire to distance myself from sadistic Christians who revel in the idea of wrath and punishment, I may have crossed a line. Refusing to teach a passage of Scripture is just as wrong as abusing it. I really believe it's time for some of us to stop apologizing for God and start apologizing to Him for being embarrassed by His ways. He has chosen to reveal Himself. Good word from, good word from Francis Chan. I like that man. I heard him in a uh, video that I was watching and he's reading at the end of the book of Revelation. It talks who's going to be in the city of God and who's not going to be there. And he breaks down crying and he says, I don't condemn people that are living the homosexual lifestyle, but it says there that homosexuals will not be part of this. Swindlers will not be part of this. People that are into witchcraft will not be part of this. He says, as much as I love people, I realize now in the moment the reason why God tells Christians about hell is to motivate us to reach out to the people around us and lovingly 
present the truth of the gospel to bring them out of darkness into light. We get it wrong. People, you know, some of the old time preachers that I heard preached hellfire to the non-believers. We need to hear hellfire to motivate us to get out there and share the good news of Jesus. Let me end with this, and I want to talk about the Daniel and Esther paradigm. Right after Josiah, Josiah's revival, by the way, was short-lived because his son that followed him went right back to the ways of idolatry. I hate to tell you that, but it's true. Breaks my heart to see that. How one generation will be with the Lord and experience this, and within a matter of 20 years, they forget. Jeremiah is raised up near the end of Josiah's reign as a prophet, and we have a whole story of what happens with Jeremiah, what happens with Israel. We know that Israel is invaded by Babylon. There are three principal invasions, and they're taken away in captivity. Some of the prophets are saying to the people of Israel, God within two years is going to restore you to your land and everything's going to be okay. And Jeremiah says, don't listen to the false prophets. In Jeremiah 29.4, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says that all that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I believe that there is a paradigm that we in the church need to grasp about what is happening in America today and it comes from Jeremiah, and it also comes from Daniel, Esther, Nehemiah, all of these people that lived. And I'm fascinated. Janice and I have talked a lot about this. There's this whole section of books in the Bible that are not about Israel. They're about pagan nations where Israel has been taken captive. Well, what's that all about? I think God put that there to give us a clear understanding of how we're to operate. How does God see the USA? Some people say that America is the great prostitute that is going to come under judgment the whore of Babylon. There are other people that say America is the shining city, that we're an exceptional country. Can I say to both of those things, they're right? You're saying that's not fair, Pastor. It's like Tevia and Fiddler on the Roof, where he says to one guy, you're right, the other guy, you're right. And the third guy says, you can't say they're both right. He says, you're right, too. <laughs> I love that scene. I love it. Because America from its inception has had the seeds of both of these visions competing in its midst. Amazing lofty words that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. The the fact that a nation would recognize that there's a God who's higher than government is a very powerful, important thing. I still believe in that. Some of those ideals are amazing, but they didn't live up to them from the beginning. I wish John Adams had held out and they had not, the 13 colonies had not entered in. I think sometimes what would have happened if we'd have been with England another 30 years? Because they abolished slavery in England in the 18, what was it, 18, 1803. Think about that. We don't know alternative histories. The point that I do know is, is that America is a mixture of good and bad. The only response that will heal our land is restoring the prophetic voice to God's remnant of church, remnant church in America. What I mean by the remnant church are the people that still hold to the truth as it was once delivered to the saints. And I'm gonna, now I'm going to talk to the generations in closing, and we're going to pray.
In Josiah's day, the prophetic voice of God had been ignored and lost in the midst of their idolatry. I believe God wants to restore His prophetic voice to the church in America. Our model for the age in which we believe comes from the books books Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and the prophetic literature from that time. Why is it that so much of our Old Testament is about Israel in captivity? And what do we learn from that? We learn this. God is concerned more than just about one nation, Israel. He has a plan for all the nations. Can I tell you that God has a plan for America? He has a plan for Japan. He has a plan for every nation and people. I love that talking to the rabbis, I've learned on the Day of Atonement, they pray for the 70 nations represented. They pray for all the nations of the world because they felt it was Israel's responsibility to represent. Now, they didn't do it back then, but the rabbis still pray. God desires for his people to be a witness of truth and power in every nation. And God raises up key people and voices in the midst of nations that serve other gods, even in the midst of evil regimes led by oppressive leaders. Let me explain that. Some of the greatest men and women of God have been in the midst of very evil governments with leaders that aren't too hot. And yet God has used them. I want you to think about Esther. I want you to think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three guys that took a stand on the plain of Shinar would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. How many of you would like to be on Nebuchadnezzar's staff? He was a really bad dude. He He builds an idol to himself. And what he's saying to God is, I'm going to reign forever. I'm the king. I'm going to reign forever. You know, he took the the vision Daniel gave him and perverted it. And all these other leaders are saying, all right, now we're going to watch these guys burn in the fire. Because they're either going to have to give up their God or they're going to have to. So what happens in the midst of that? God does a miracle. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this. They say, Lord, we know that you're able to deliver us, but even if you don't, we're still going to stand for truth and we're going to lay our lives down for you. And all of a sudden, they look in the fire and there's a fourth man. Who's the fourth man? Jesus was right there. Sometimes we say, how could God work in the season that we're in? And this is specifically to the younger generation. You are going to work in a situation where America is not a nation of one God. There are many gods that are contending for America right now. And in the midst of all that, if you will be a Daniel, if you will be an Esther, if you will be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God can do something miraculous in you and through you that can be a witness to this nation and all the nations. And that's who God is looking for in this hour. I want you to think about Esther. Uncle Mordecai says to her, he says, if you don't take a stand here, you're not only going to lose your life, but the nation may be lost also. He says, how do you know that you weren't born for such a time as this? To some of the young people here today, how do you know that you have not been born for such a time as this? And some of you that are older here that are saying, I don't understand what's happening in my country. I don't know what's going on. You need to be a Uncle Mordecai. You need to be dedicated to raising up the younger generation, helping them to understand the times that they're in. They don't have the historical perspective that you have. I was in a meeting with Congresswoman uh, Marsha Fudge not too long ago, and she said, I took a bunch of young people in my office. They're all in their 20s to see the movie Selma. And they said... Congresswoman, why is there so much violence in that movie? And she said, I was ready to pull my hair out. She said, don't you realize they actually played down the violence? Don't you understand that it was even worse than that? So I need to tell some of you that are my age and older, people right now, the young people in our our grandchildren, 
They're not getting it because they have not had the benefit of a godly view of history and what's really happening. And we need to tell them what's happened in the past. You hear what I'm saying? God strategically, what do we learn from the Daniel and Esther paradigm? God strategically places his people in places of influence. Daniel, Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nehemiah, Esther served in nations that were multicultural, multi-ethnic, and had a multiplicity of gods. And in the midst of that, God used them and their willingness to stand for him to be a testimony of the living God and to come to an understanding of who God was. Can you imagine? There were 120 governors from the entire known world in Babylon standing on that plane that day, and they saw the fourth man too. More was accomplished in the name of God on that day than anything that Israel had done with their up-and-down idolatry over the last 400 years. They brought betterment to the lands in which they lived. They knew that they had a higher call to establish God's kingdom. And you know what, my, what I believe. I love my country. I know it's a broken country. But I belong to a higher country, and that's the kingdom of God. Amen. And when God goes this way and the country goes this way, I'm going with the kingdom of God. Okay? They walked in the supernatural. God's plan could not have happened any other way. And I believe this is a key to young leaders today. But you have to embrace truth and put your life on the line if you're going to see the supernatural happen, just like they did. How does God see the USA? Let me finish with this. To the people that are age 45 and over, I know some of you are mourning the loss of America's righteousness. But can we be honest that things have not been good with America for a long time? time. There are some people out there, they make it sound like we need to go back to a time when America was this perfect, wonderful age, when everything was okay. Can I tell you, it was an age where sexual abuse was happening and they just weren't talking about it. When there was great prejudice happening and people in white communities were not aware of it at all. And it's time for us that are age 45 and older to be very honest and say, America's been broken for a long time and we need to stop pointing back to something. Now, are there a lot of good things about America? You better believe it. And we need to go back and dig the ancient wells that are good. Talmadge, Ohio, laid out in a compass points by a young man who had a vision to bring the gospel to all the parts of the world. That's an ancient well that can be dug, a wonderful thing. If you read Harlan Hatcher's History of the Western Reserve, it's in there. So when you see the Buddhist monks out on Talmud Circle dedicating their mandala, that Buddhism would go out. Oh, you didn't know this happened? This happened a couple times in the last year. Five years ago, yeah. So we need to be understanding there are a lot of good things about America, but there are a lot of broken things. And we need to be honest with our children and grandchildren and tell them the truth. It's time to be honest and say America has been compromised for a long time. My call to establish establish the kingdom of God tempers any patriotism. I've got mixed feelings about this country. There are things I like about it. When I travel overseas and I come back, I want to kiss the ground because of the freedom and the opportunity that's here. But I also know there's a lot of broken stuff about our country as well. To the younger generations, you need to know something. You've been robbed about the truth of Christian influence in and through America's history. 
I am finding that even from things that happened in the 60s, your generation doesn't know, and it's not your fault, it's our generation's fault. I'm not blaming you. But you need to be willing, like Josiah, to go back and dig the wells of historical truth and be honest about what happened with your forefathers, and your generation is going to be able to bring healing that our generation was not. I believe that. Like Josiah, who began spiritual awakening as a teenager, you need to seek out the ancient truths and discover the word. And when you find the truth of God, you need to be so willing to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to do it with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like Josiah, God's looking for a heart of radical obedience. But you need to be aware that there's a heavy deception, even in the church, that's trying to take out your generation. For the older generation, we need to lead the way in repentance and teaching the young. That's what my life is dedicated to now. I want to raise up young leaders that are going to make a difference. Not just here in America, but around the world. If you want to know what America's destiny really looks like, I go back to Azusa Street in 1906. The guy from the LA Times that wrote the article said, this is astounding. There are Chinese people that are African, they're Negroes, that's the term they use then, the African-American people. He said there are Caucasians, there are Hispanics, there are people from all over the world and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit and they're laying on their faces before God. And the amazing thing, and I think this is America's destiny, that people from all these different groups and tribes and peoples would come together for a higher purpose and ideal and find the will and heart of God and be a blessing to the rest of the world. We've captured small parts of that, but we've missed it in a lot of other areas. I felt like the Lord wanted me to share this message with you. Is it stirring your heart? This is how I feel like we're supposed to end today. Can we all stand together? I want to ask... I know I'm putting you on the spot. How many of you people that are 40 years old and younger would be willing to come up and say, Lord, whatever you have for me? I really want to pray for your generation because I think God wants to do something powerful. Would you just come? If you are courageous enough, just come on. I know some of you are new here. You may not understand all that we're doing. I'm going to ask the rest of us to come and gather around them in a moment, but let's give these young people an opportunity to come. I thank God for all of you. I really do. I'm excited about the prospects that God is putting before you. And I know you've got challenges that we've never had. Just a moment more as people come. Can I ask the rest rest of us, some of our leaders, just to come up behind these folks? We want to stand with you. Those of you that are going to be Uncle Mordecai's, so to speak. Let's just pray. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we need Daniels. We need Esther's. We need Shadrach, Meshach's, and Abednego's. We need Nehemiah's. People that are willing to serve you in the midst of a very hostile environment people that are willing to work through the brokenness and even the hostility and evil that's present. Lord, I had a young man ask me this week, he said, I want to do something in politics, but I'm afraid to get caught up in the evil of all that's going on. Lord, we need people that aren't into politics. We need people that are into godly governance. Politics means division. We need people to come together and listen and find solutions. 
And I'm just praying, Lord, for these that have come up today that you would help them to break through with a calling of God on their lives, Lord. You're calling some of them to business. You're calling some to education. You're calling some of them to medicine. You're calling uh, some of them uh, to parent. You're calling some of them to work in the political and social uh, sciences area, Lord. But wherever, Lord, I just pray that your hand of blessing would be upon those that have come forward today. Lord, as a church, I pray that there would be such a strong blessing between the generations. The church is not just one generation. Help us, Lord, that are older, the older generations, to have a heart to love and encourage and to do all that we can to help these people move forward into the destiny that you have for them. And Lord, for the younger generation, give them the courage to stand against social media, slander that's out there, just intolerance that's proclaimed in the name of tolerance, and yet it's intolerant. Help them, just like Jesus brought a new paradigm of love and truth together, help them, Lord, to press into that and bring that. Lord, we just ask for that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Can we lift up praises to the Lord? We bless you, God. We praise you, God. Heal our land, Lord, we pray. Oh, God, help us, we pray. Hallelujah. Help the church to recover our voice, oh, God. Help the church to recover a prophetic voice, Lord, a voice of love and a voice of truth. Help us to speak out and to proclaim your truth, God, with hearts of love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel like God's planting some seeds today. Is it true? So let's continue to press in and uh, press into what he has for us. I'm excited about what the Lord wants to do. Let's go in the blessing of the Lord. Amen.